In the first season of Shark Tank, every single time somebody would walk in on set, Steve would jump in and I would sit back like a good girl and wait for my turn to talk. And he would ask all the good questions. And then after about 10 days of shooting, I went to the producer and I said, you know, Steve's asking all the good questions and by the time it gets to my turn, blah, 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 blah. And he said, sweetie, this is TV. I'll edit it to make a good story. Just ask the same questions. (laughs) <laughs> Ask whatever question you like. Sit up, speak up. So then someone would walk in and say, blah, 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 blah. And he'd say, so tell us about your customers. And then about two seconds later, I'd say, tell me about your customers. And so then Steve's like, I just asked that question. Didn't you hear me? So he's getting so angry with me, thinking that I'm kind of mimicking him or something. No, no, I'm just giving the producer options. <laughs> and I'm speaking up, as I said I should for being a leader in our community rather than sitting back. That is Naomi Simpson, the entrepreneur, CEO, author and speaker, Naomi Simpson. And this is part two of my conversation with her on episode 271 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is part two of my conversation with Naomi Simpson. If you've not heard part one yet, just simply scroll back through your feed and have a listen. I highly recommend getting into it because you'll kind of need it to make sense of where we kick off today. How's your week going? You're feeling good? You're doing the work? Everything all right with you? Um, To check in with you, I did want to get accountable. I spoke about accountability on Monday. I do want to get accountable to you. I uh, just want to let you know straight up, like I'm, I'm off to see a new psychologist this week. I had the... I guess you'd call it the breakup conversation with my old psychologist. And now I'm going to see a new psychologist at the recommendation of my psychiatrist, who's kind of team leader. He's looking for me to explore a new modality. And so we're off to see a new psychologist this week. And and we're in the dating phase. If you've never changed psychologists, or you've never even been to a psychologist, um, this is the dating phase. I call it that because this is the part where you kind of suss each other out. It's, it's like going on a date because you get a vibe on each other. You see if you can work with that person. Sometimes it, it takes a few goes. Sometimes you have to go two or three times before you go, yeah, all right, I'm here. But then you either figure out, oh, actually, you know what? He reminds me of this guy I used to work with. I can't do it. Or, you know, she doesn't quite just speak in the same language as you or parking might suck. You mightn't like the couch, whatever. If it's not working, look, you're not getting married to them. It's okay. You can head off and try and find another one. I, I know it sucks because mental health plans only 10 goes. However, even just one, even just give yourself a test one and go, you know what? Maybe there's all right. Or even trying to get on a phone with them beforehand. See if you can't, you know, just schedule 15, 20 minutes to talk before you go along. Just see if you can't get a vibe on, you know, if you like the sound of their voice even, if you think you can get there. I equate it to... Um, fellowship meetings if you if you don't know hi i'm osher i'm an alcoholic um and i sometimes go to fellowship meetings of other people that identify as that you can figure out what they might be called um but when i first started going to those meetings to get sober i was told just go to a different meeting every day for a week so a different one in a different part of town every week they'll all be different and you just find one that you like and just keep going back to it. And it's, you know, some work for some people, some work for other people. And it's the same with psychologists. I understand very, very much so that if you're in a remote area, it is difficult. And so, gratefully, we live in an incredible time to be alive. Uh, there are m- m- platforms where you can connect with a psychologist uh, over a video chat. Uh, they do exist and they're pretty good. It's like a Skype call, basically where, you you know, you can connect with your psych and psychs from all over the country because you're not limited to your geographical area. I used to do Skype calls with my shrink back in LA when I was uh, in Sydney for 10, 12 weeks at a time doing Bachelor when I was still living over there. And I was actually pretty good. And, yeah, at least I know I like the couch because it's my couch. (laughs) I recommend it. Uh, Whatever you need to do, if you need to do it, make sure you do it because it's not going to get better by itself. It isn't. You just got to do the work. I'll fill you in next week, let you know how we went. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Okay, so let's get into our guest today. By now, you've listened to part one of my podcast with Naomi Simpson. We're going to get pretty stuck into gender and being feminine in a high-stakes business world in this part of our chat. I'm really happy we're having that part of the conversation. But we did leave you with a heck of a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. Let's pick up, basically. Let's pick up where, where we left off with Naomi Simpson. Last time we spoke, I had a look at it. It was around June, July 2015. We were in your previous office at Piermont, which is uh, near the casino in Sydney. You had a whole building, uh, bustling, bustling office, and I couldn't, ex- I couldn't believe, you know, there was this incredible thing that you'd built with all these people. And now you're across probably many floors on the 50th floor of some (laughs) colossal building in the centre of the city in the expensive coffee cart district of the CBD. Yes. (laughs) Um, What happened? Exactly. (laughs) You know, I'm really interested, you know. What between there and now, the growth that you and your business have, that you have steered your business towards is extraordinary. It is. What what things happened along the way do you think that were – most influential to that growth. Look, when uh, you know we, I started Rebelin all those years ago. It was pretty easy to get organic growth, and I looked at the fundamentals in terms of customers and people and all of that sort of thing. I was the CEO for ten years. In two thousand and eleven, I separated from my husband, who owned half of that business, and I was asked to not be CEO anymore, which kind of suited me because I'd done it for ten years and had a great succession plan. And Gemma stepped in and started doing that role. Unfortunately, or fortunately for her, she had a baby. Um, but while on maternity leave, she had another one. Anyway, in the end, we had um, three CEOs by the time I met with you in 2015. So Red Balloon was Red Balloon. It was no some of the fundamentals of a entrepreneurial business had gone. That was deeply listening to customers, really creating an incredible experience of people at work being successful uh, and also even the notion of growth and they were trying to move it. Anyway, so, and I was sitting on the board, I was incredibly frustrated. Um, Lucky for me, I had other things to do. In 2011, it's when we got approached for Shark Tank, you know, was some time in there. I wrote a couple of books. I was speaking. So I was busy, but I wasn't working in the tools in my own business and I was watching it deteriorate and it it was awful because there was nothing I could do. I had offered to buy my ex-husband out so many times and he just wouldn't accept. You know, he was like, you'll never pay me enough. And there was a lot of ego in, uh, in, involved. A friend of mine who I'd known for years um, had done a big exit of the business that he was working in in Europe and came back to Australia and was looking for a CEO gig. But as my friend, I was telling him what was happening and what was going on, you know. Revenues were going down. Expenses were going up. It was only a matter of time before it wasn't making money. And then I just received a re-forecast to say that we weren't going to make any money. I just didn't understand how that was possible. Um, it's a good business. 
And I said, you know, this is unsustainable. And in the boardroom, you know, there was a lot of conversation about, oh, you're just the emotional founder. You've got to understand the market's changing. The industry's changing. I go, I'm just a simple girl looking at the simple metrics about customer people and growth. And I don't see those coming through. So I think the cleverest thing I ever did was put David, my friend, as my alternate on the board. Because what that meant is he looked at it completely unemotionally and just looked at the sheer metrics and said, this is a really great business. It has so much upside. It needs new ownership. So we set about acquiring the shares of Red Balloon. We created the big red group, and it then went and bought Red Balloon. So I bought my own company. From the outside. From the outside. And my ex-husband and chairman and all the people at the time didn't know it was me that and David doing it together. They thought it was just David doing it with a bunch of investors, not realising I was the investor. And, and you know, there was some irony that I was so busy investing in all these Shark Tank businesses, why was I not investing in my own? You know, there was some big irony there, the business I knew and loved the best. So we acquired uh, Red Balloon. And um, he put it in a contract that he wanted me to make, make sure that I was involved with the business in terms of the sales agreement because he wanted that innate understanding that an entrepreneur has for customer and he wanted it in. And so we went back into the business with a thesis and that is an idea that could we prove it. One is that we had always outsourced technology and you cannot keep doing that. You know, Red Balloon had been a mid-sized $50 million turnover business for a very long time and was investing so much in just maintaining technology, not sustainable. So who was going to be the world export that we would customise? So in other words, we didn't have to become the expert in AI, in voice, in all these other things. Other people were doing that. We just need to customise it. So we chose a tech platform. Secondly, we had to get better at finding customers cheaper and we found a piece of AI out of Israel called Albert that works with consumer websites, doesn't work in uh, what we call business to business, but it works in consumer. And it manages to find audience and customers for us and it dramatically reduced the cost of finding customers. And I'm talking from $50 down to about 7 Wow. Yeah. So, And then it's looking for lookalike audiences. So we were – the first part of the thesis was to prove that we could get onto platforms that were scalable and maintainable. The second part of the thesis is experiences are used for lots of things. Ripple is famous for gifting, but it, you book things for kids for school holidays. We book things when we want to do stuff when people come to town. There's so many different jobs that experience does. So then we started looking at the industry and saying, well, who can we acquire that's got different audiences that sits on the third piece of the puzzle, which is our supply base? the 7,500 different experiences and how can we serve it to different audiences? And then we started looking at acquiring a number of businesses and in November we purchased Adrenaline. And Adrenaline, I had thought we'd have a great deal of crossover and since we've had that business, we've identified only 7% of crossover in the customer base. So that gives us 93% upside of new people that we're talking to about different things. And one of the things we also, I thought Adrenaline was an extreme sports business. It's not. Adrenaline is about the excitement of booking in for something. Their biggest sales are on kids' activities. I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? Yep, absolutely hand over fist. And about 70% of their bookings are direct bookings. In other words, not vouchers. They're like, a, oh, we've got somebody coming to town. Let's put them in a jet boat. Oh, we've got somebody coming to town. Let's do a, a fly wire or a rope course or this, that and the other thing. It's, and so it's been really great, which is beginning to prove our thesis. That business then comes onto the platforms and then we will roll that out. So in the first year, we've, we, we will serve more than half a million customers this year, we will, which is more than um, one a minute. At the moment, we're serving a customer every 39 seconds, <laughs> which really suits us. But we have this big goal that we want to serve a customer every second, and that's wow. a big game. That I love that you've just described. Well, there's a few things that I, I do want to flash back to, but you've you've just described in the same way. It's like a much bigger part of your thesis around transforming our own body was. You know what? 
I'm going to do this sort of stuff every day because this is the outcome I want. I want to get back into these clothes. I want to feel better. I want to be able to sleep better. I want to you know, make the pain in my back go away. And you do the things every day to make that happen. But in the same way, on a just a much grander scale, you've gone, this is what we want. We want, you know, at the moment, we wanted a customer a minute. We're doing a customer every, what, 39 seconds? Yeah. Okay. We want a customer every second. All right. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to go. And that you have this game plan, this thesis ahead of you uh, that you are molding the business direction around rather than let's just do it and just sort of flail and, you know, turn the hose on and see what happens. No. <laughs> we were we are really, really intentional and unfortunately that makes it hard too because we're going to make some tough decisions. We are the world's best at experiences. That's what we want to be. We're now the third largest marketplace in, our, in the world doing what we do, third largest in the world, and the other two are in Europe. And so if you look at that even as a thesis, you kind of go, Wow. Um, But our competition doesn't come from anybody locally. It comes from global players. And I'm really trying to encourage Australian businesses to think your competition is not the guy down the road. It's these massive global businesses that with the stroke of a piece of technology can just there goes your business, you know, you just eat. So that whole notion of disruption is really important. But we had to take some really hard decisions about what was not in. So we had a kind of gifting business, which was, you know, candles and things like that. And we just closed it down. We just said, look, that space is so busy, so hectic. There's Amazon. And the opportunity cost for us of not working in our thesis of, no, 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 we're the world's best at experiences was a distraction. And that's hard for the people who've worked on it for a long time. You know, they've given their love and intention to it and we're just like, it's not in the game. Mm. So being a leader and making tough decisions is hard and not popular. But ultimately, people want to work in a place where there is success and working on anything that's mediocre doesn't deliver them that. I do want to talk about tough decisions in a second, but I just just want to flash back. What happens... The day, I, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I don't, I'm not privy to this out to the agreement or, 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 you know, whatever was happening. But what happens the day that you acquire the share yeah. that gets you to 51% ownership? Yeah. What's that phone call like? Was it an email? Is it a, what's that moment like? No, Is it like the standing on top of the platform shaking your fist in the air? There was a bottle, bottle of Bollinger or two, but no, it wasn't the one share. We acquired 100%. So the only way we could do it was for me to sell my shares to the, a new entity, which was co, is co-owned by David. So, yes, I'm still a 50% shareholder. We're equal partners, and I was equal partners in the enterprise before, but of a much bigger game. Yeah. And, yes, I had to pay the capital gains. Yes. Yeah, I bet you did. But that, that was the price I was prepared to pay for not only the business that I believed in, the people I believed in, but the the, the brand and my reputation. Yeah. And interestingly enough, you know, we've more than doubled the size of that business in 12 months. You know, it's gone from turning over 50 to 100 million and it's delivering considerable profit, and all of which is invested in this capital investment and we're very well supported by our bank. So, you know, I, we have proved the thesis. I was not the crazy woman in the in the boardroom that everybody thought I was, um, and it was easy for them to put labels on me. No, no, no. I have a big vision. I know what's possible, and I needed to surround myself with with the right partner and the right leadership team who could take that vision and turn it into reality. Would those boardroom meetings have been different if you were male? Oh, for sure. Oh my goodness. I I shouldn't probably say this, but David said, I could not believe that what you were saying was true. He said, and and yet the first meeting I went to when I came out, he goes, oh, my goodness, I now get it. And he said, I would never have thought that would have happened in your boardroom. So, uh, you know, I I have witnessed. But actually it's all part of life's rich tapestries. And one could also argue, David and I, you know, there's always a silver lining. And David could argue, well... If they hadn't have been like that, we never would have got the business because it would have been okay. And okay isn't great. Okay is not changing the world. Okay is, you know, we managed to get a few dividends. But no, that's not what we're up for. Yeah. We want to be the world's best and the biggest in the world. I don't, I, I wouldn't want you, and I want you to be, I wouldn't want you to disclose anything, obviously, that is, you know, held by, you know, business confidentiality things. But it, I might, it might be worthy to explore how differently a woman of your extraordinary success is treated 
in a boardroom situation, particularly a founder. Mm-hmm. We've, I've heard the words. I've, they've just got founder syndrome. They can't let it go. Yeah. They can't. It's their baby. They cooked it up on their kitchen table and now it's this massive 10-figure thing but they you know, still think they run it. And, um, yeah. but how and different- it had nothing to do with them. <laughs> I think one of the funniest things was because I'm a speaker and they, somebody said, you're profiteering off the reputation of Red Balloon. I go, Really? <laughs> Where do you think that came from? <laughs> <laughs> but like how how differently you would be treated, you know, yeah. how how differently people like just that the level of difference in how we are ingrained to treat people of a different gender or or identify as a different gender in that situation yeah. at that level yeah. that it still exists. That in 2019 that this sort of thing can happen in a boardroom. With face to face with one of Australia's, if not Australia's most high profile female business person, that just people probably couldn't believe that that still happens. Yeah. And there's so much in that question about ingrained behaviors and bias that people can't see because I know all three of them would say, no, 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 it wasn't because she was a woman, it was because she was just an emotional founder. And you know what? I don't want, I don't want people to have to give up who they are. You know, I am feminine and I'm absolutely okay with that. And I do bring emotion because I'm so deeply connected to it. And do I have to deny who I am? I don't want to become a male. I don't want to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. And so I I think there's a whole real exploration to do in that. So I'm really looking forward to the day when people just say, oh, Naomi Simpson entrepreneur, not female entrepreneur. I think once we give up labels, I think that's going to be a powerful thing. I think that it's people want to put labels on things, but also I know that we get labelled, even when I'm just forthright, people go, oh, my goodness, she's, you know, she's headstrong, she's volatile, she's this. No, I'm just passionate. And, um, and it's okay to be passionate and to diminish me as a, a leader or any woman for, as a leader for bringing who they are, I, I think is sad. And often we too don't stand up because we're scared of that criticism. And I've seen myself do the same thing. In the first season of Shark Tank, the, you know, there's five of us there and every single time somebody would walk in on set, Steve would jump in and I would sit back I can't believe I'm telling you this. I'd sit back like a good girl and wait for my turn to talk. And he would ask all the good questions. And then after about, I don't know, 10 days of shooting, I went to the producer and I said, you know, Steve's asking all the good questions and by the time it gets to my turn, blah, 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 blah. I can't believe I said that, but I did. And he said, sweetie, this is TV. I'll edit it to make a good story. Just ask the same questions. (laughs) ask whatever question you like sit up speak up and so the way it is you can you can hardly hear like you really have to hear it anyway so steve would ask a question so then after that i was like yeah okay so then someone would walk in and say blah 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 blah, and he'd say so tell us about your customers and then about two seconds later i say so tell me tell me about your customers and so then steve's like I just asked that question, didn't you hear me? So he's getting so angry with me, thinking that I'm kind of mimicking him or something. No, no, I'm just giving the producer options. <laughs> and I'm speaking up, as I said I should, for being a leader in our community rather than sitting back. So here I am, a leader in the community, and I do need to coach myself to make sure that I'm not scared to answer the question. I'm not scared to ask the question and I will speak up and make sure I say something. But I learned that lesson on the set of Shark Tank and Steve's still grumpy with me. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, nobody cares because it's great TV. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that I think that speaks a lot to just how ingrained in not only the men in the room but in yourself these lessons were written into your source code as you were learning to do what you do. Good girls wait their turn. God, mate, it breaks my heart. <laughs> breaks. I wish Georgia was here. Uh, she left for school just before you got here. She's nearly as tall as you. She's yeah. taller than me. You're taller yeah. than me. She's, you know, and she, we watched her play her first game of basketball last night. You should have seen her on the court. She's just staunch, you know. Yeah. And I'm looking at this kid and, you know, I never want her to learn that. I never want that thought to even come in her mind that good girls wait their turn. Yeah. You have a good idea, 
open your mouth and ask that question. You have a good idea, open your mouth and say that good idea because it's of great value. I never want her to know that. But, of course, you know, it's so ingrained in our, in just the very nature of what the rules that we have agreed upon are that in our society still, and it's dissipating very, very slowly. It's not what it was 20 years ago, 40 or 50 years ago, but still, you know. So it takes a really good chairman, a good leader to conduct a meeting to encourage a safe place where he encourages everybody to speak and that's it's a really important role of of the chair like oh gosh she's quiet god we thought she was going to add some value no no it's your job she's got it all there otherwise she wouldn't get the seat so now it's your job to make sure that you get the value from that participant in the boardroom. Right. It's your job. And if not, you've left your board down. And I think that's a real shift of thinking as well, is it's the onus is on everybody in that room to make sure that all voices are heard. I uh, I sit on a board. Mm-hmm. I sit on a board for a non- non-profit and watching our chair, I'm just like, it's like watching Bruce Lee films in slow motion. I watch the way she handles it. I'm like, you're incredible. Yeah. How did you do that? <laughs> How did you nurture that little one out? She's so important. good. She's a very powerful person mm-hmm. and I, I, I adore board meetings. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, 150 pages of PDF and, you know, <laughs> they're long days. Yeah. But not only, you know, do I adore it because of the work that we get to do with the, the charity but also just what I learned from watching her mm-hmm. is just about leadership and it's in, it's really important. Different styles of leadership, there is no one approach mm. and I think that's really important. Particularly in an emotional space like, you know, yeah, what we work on, it's, it's, it's very emotional. And especially when you're dealing with volunteers who are not being paid, true. it's very challenging. True, true, true. You mentioned difficult decisions before. I'm sure between the last time we spoke and now and you just mentioned that you did, you've had to let people go. Mm. You've had to fire people. I had to have a difficult conversation on the phone the other day. I had to let someone know that, hey, remember that thing that we've been talking about that I actually approached you for a couple mm-hmm. months ago? I'm not going to be able to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have changed in the last yeah. few months. <laughs> I know how I prepared for it. I'll, I'll share that. But how do you prepare for a difficult conversation that you have to have at work, whether it be letting someone go or giving someone an answer they don't want to hear? It's not about them. It's not about the person. It's about the role, the job, the strategy. And if you can take the personality out of it. So you know with empathy it's going to impact that person. But it's not It's not who they are. Um, unless they're really not living the values or they've done something completely wrong. But even that, it's not about them. It's about their behaviours. It's not them, the person. So I had to learn to make sure that it was really clear and the other thing is get right to the point. You know, don't bring somebody and say, I really like you, you know, you're fabulous and blah, 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 and by the way, you're going. They're just left completely confused and they don't understand why. So always putting things into context is really, really important. It doesn't make it any easier, but as long as they're left knowing it's not them as a person. And even if I am letting somebody go because of their behaviours, I will say, your behaviours here do not align to our values. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. They just don't fit with what we said we were going to do and being our word is materially important. And that's how I handle it. But everyone is different, you know, and their personalities are different and none of them are easy ever. But I also make sure that I leave them with something that gives them an insight to who they are, which will show them possibility in terms of maybe what would suit them next. And I think that that's really important, especially if, if it's been a square peg in a round hole that just hasn't worked versus a, if this is a change in strategy and your skills aren't, aren't required. And it's really hard also because when you start a business, you employ generalists and at some point you need specialists and people who are absolutely the world best at what they do. And generalists who've been with you for such a long time aren't going to cut it anymore and that's been awful. But a lot of, a lot of people get that and they work out, well, what's the next step for me? Let me ask Naomi what she sees for me next here and if it's not here, maybe she can support me on what I need to do next to get where I want to go. And it's about being frank and and creating a space where they can be frank and open with you. I think people might be familiar with, you know, the George Clooney up in the air, you know, the guy that they outsource to do the, to you know, the outsourced hatchet man. You think it's important that you do it yourself? Absolutely. Game of Thrones style, you're, you know, Ned Stark. <laughs> no, not so bad. But it does have to be you because if you say you're leader, you have to take all of the parts of leadership, not just the good parts, not just the standing up in front of everybody and saying, hey, we've got Osha here today or we're celebrating this. No, no, that it's you've got to take the good with the bad because otherwise, yeah, otherwise it's just icing on my pie and that's not what leadership is. 
Right. Who do you think in your past taught you the most valuable lessons about leadership? Um, oh, now I'm really having to think. I've always admired Lindsay Catamon. Uh, she founded a business called Aspect Computing and it was a very, very successful business which she sold to CAS Computing many years ago. But she was both a powerful, articulate woman. My mother actually worked for her as a system. That's how I met her and I met her when I was in high school. So when I think about who probably shaped me, she would definitely have been one of them. Um, when I think about leaders that I really admire today, I adore Anne Sherry. I adore her ability to be really personal but firm and solid and she's just so articulate. And I also adore Romley Madieu, uh, who works in construction. She's, you know, just got a gong and she is, you know, she's not just, she's just such a good human and always has fun doing it and she's so herself. So if I look at those three leaders, I see women who are very comfortable in their different style of who they are and they're very happy in their own shoes and they've also achieved incredible things in their lives. So, yeah, there are three uh, women I can think off the top of my head who I absolutely admire. You give me three women to go and research and find out about. <laughs> yeah. I want to find out about those, those extraordinary people. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I remember something that always stuck with me about when you when we spoke last, you mentioned that when you first came back to Australia after living in America and in New York for a while, you noticed that these places that used to be warehouses are now suddenly self-storage. You're like, hey, what self-storage? What people are renting garages? And you started to, uh, you know, think about the acquisition of stuff. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole kind of phenomenon about the reduction of clutter in our lives and stuff and there's, you know, Netflix series to watch and but I've been on this path you know literally for 20 years when I really questioned that to get a you know a vase that's probably manufactured in China and the cost to import it to Australia and then you give it to somebody in the sits and it gets dusty and then ultimately it goes into self-storage before it goes into landfill and it may have given some joy on the way and it's really important to know that there is things that create joy. And I think I really appreciate that this is coming as an absolute movement is what does deliver you joy? And it is about that conscious thought. And if it delivers joy, then it is valuable to you. But actually, the most joy comes from being with other people. And it's what has always been my calling when it comes to experiences and doing things. Um, people think, you know, that we I'm an experiences junkie. I'm so not. But I am a really good marketer, and I say that with a little bit of humility, not a lot, but a little bit because I came out of big corporations. I was a marketer, and in starting Red Balloon, I could see that small business really struggled to do great marketing, and the best way to do that was to just deliver them customers. So it was such a melding of my philosophy about life, which is joy and it came from my grandfather when we were kids and he died when I was about seven so I was really little and he would take us to the pantomime because he wanted to be with us so you know self-storage is still one of the fastest growing industries in Australia 1.2 billion dollars it's growing at one and a half percent now one and a half percent on 1.2 billion dollars a year is a lot Uh, and it's a lot of space of, of stuff but every one of those things represents pressure on the planet It's been manufactured. It's been shipped. And so, therefore, what is it that we can do without? And I go away every year with my husband for four weeks, and it's amazing how literally we can live with two sets of clothes, you know, hardly anything, and how little we really need. And I think it's a nice practice. I don't own a car. My husband does 
um, we one car family. So when people say to me, you know, I, it's just not interesting to me. It's just not my thing. So because I can get from A to B on a ferry, I can get in some other way. So and what's going to give me joy? And I understand that cars give some people joy. Great, but it's not my thing. That's fine. So choosing rather than doing it because other people did it, I think is important too. When you start to think about you know, the manufacturing, like everything pretty much except this table, I think, and these glasses which were made in Newtown, pretty much I think everything on everything here was made in China. Yeah, right. The clothes I'm wearing, mm. made in China. Mm. When you think about the energy required to source material, to create it, to, to to forge the steel of the, you know, when you think about all that and the shipping, exactly, the shipping and all that kind of stuff, it starts to kind of bowl your mind a bit. And then you think about how many objects in your home mm. had that same journey across the ocean to be here. How's that thought process, how's that changed when you, I don't know, you walk through the shopping mall and you go, ooh, that looks interesting. Does it interrupt as you hold the thing in your hand and you're considering walking to the register with it? Yeah, I literally... Um, one of the things that I I do to myself is I talk myself off the cliff. Mm-hmm. In other words, I saw these um, candlesticks just before Christmas. I go, oh, they're so beautiful. I really would like those. And then I said to myself, do I need them? Mm, really, really, really no. And then um, six weeks later, I said, you know what? I do love a candle, a beautiful candle. And so I went back and they were on sale. <laughs> Never mind. But I was still thinking about them. So therefore, after six weeks, I was thinking, they will bring joy. Like I'd literally been away on a holiday, been away for the four weeks, come back. And so I make a conscious choice and go, yes. So we think there's a much a bigger difference between the impulse of just that I will feel good in this moment for purchasing this versus uh, actually this is going to add value or ambience or it's something I'm sharing with my friends and how is that going to be. So I do, I, I say, will I still feel like this tomorrow? I'll buy us remorse. And if I really am still thinking about it, and I taught my kids that, if you're still thinking about it, in a week's time, go back. Last time we spoke, you mentioned very briefly, and you wouldn't open up about it, that you may have danced at Studio 54 when you were at... Uh, oh, my goodness. In New York. How do you remember everything I ever say? But I didn't want to push you on it. I just remember the twinkle in your eye when you talked about your early years in New York City. I'm like, damn right, you had a good time. But yeah. Studio 54 famously had a one-in-one-out policy. Yeah. Do you have similar when you bring a new object into your home? Ah, I did watch the documentary on um, Studio 54. Boy, that's... It was amazing. And actually, I realised then that I was there after the new owners, not ah, during okay. that time. So I realised that only when I saw that. I didn't realise I was so young. I wouldn't have known anything. No, I don't. But it does... I love a good spring clean and a real assessment of things. If I haven't touched it in a year, do we really need it? And some things do still get to say, like the ski gear, because one day I'll go skiing again <laughs> uh, and I'll never, I don't want to buy new ski gear. But it, it really is, uh, it, I think if I haven't touched it in a year, it doesn't really need to be there. That's a pretty good rule. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, you yeah. haven't touched it in a year. Yeah. Yeah. Even. But what about when it's like, you know, oh, this is a thing that the grandfather who took me to the panto gave me. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few things like that. Like the first, my first ever purchase I can't remember. I was three. My grandfather had given me a dollar for my birthday and I bought an ABC book. I still have it. No, that gives me joy because it connects me to my youth and mm. uh, connects me in different ways. So, no, no. So, therefore, the, there's – and, of course, my photo albums. I might not look at them every year. I'm never throwing those out. So, there's some certain things like that. But I'm talking about things, functional things. I have in my kitchen whole completely empty cupboards which will remain empty. But they're there because they look nice. I don't know. I have plenty of storage, so and I have no intention of filling them up. So And that's okay by me. That's really, really great. That's an amazing achievement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because, you know, I know what it is to, you know, you, you raise a family, you acquire things over the course of the kids' lives and, you know, things just arrive and people come over for dinner and platters get stayed around and, you know, you just wait. You're having a baby. Oh, my goodness. I thought I would have three toys for my little ones because that's all they needed. I didn't buy them all those toys. There was toys everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, they that's, just arrived. That's all coming. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. When you look at how we, we spoke about attitudes, you know, in, in boardrooms changing, and uh, when you look at your own kids who are, boom, right there, like super millennial ages, um, 
when you look at their purchasing habits and how purchasing habits are changing around people who are just coming into the workforce and stuff like that, do you notice how much, you know, the sharing of goods is playing a role in, in stuff now? Yeah, absolutely. They're very, very different about what's important. I've really noticed my, my daughter, who's a mathematician and is working for a data company, Quantium, She, um, her ethos about time is completely different than mine ever was. So when she was studying for her final exam, she would get Uber Eats to deliver it to her cubicle in the library because she's like, every second is important. I'm not moving from here. So, you know, these poor Uber Eats drivers would arrive for all the students, you know, which cubicle are you in and deliver their meals. So for her, time is the most important thing, which I think is very interesting because it wasn't for us. And I do watch how they spend their money as well, and it's on very different things. And it's where they spend the most amount, I would argue, is they go to music festivals, they go out a lot. Uh, Alcohol is a part of that. It's expensive. Um, They spend way more on alcohol than I ever did, but they don't tend to buy things. Um, And my daughter um, is the one that lectures me about, do you know where those clothes came from? She is very ethically driven. And she wants to know the source of where her, her things came from. Yeah. Yeah. And so she will spend $79 on a T-shirt because she knows what it's made from mm. and where it came from. Right. Mm. Do you, and you, you see it starting to be oh, – we, we first noticed it at a mass level with um, uh, Uber as far as, you know, vehicle ownership and, uh, you know, do you really need to own a car? If you live in a certain part of the city, can you get away without one? What's the annual cost of a car versus how many, you know, trips you can make be via public transport versus how many you need an Uber for? If it's cheaper, mm. do you need a car? Um, but we've seen that now, like to the point where your ski gear, you know, someone could rent it. They could. <laughs> you know, and there's sort of, you know, opportunities for... It's probably not worth it. <laughs> it's pretty antiques. No, what do they call it? Retro. Retro ski gear. Naomi, I will show you a photograph of what I wore on our ski vacation this year. I uh, I only I saw it. I think I only I only wear I only wear onesies that make me look like I'm in a Warren Miller film. I'm pretty sure it was purple. Number one, number one, they're warm, very very warm. Number two, Audrey and Georgia never lose me because otherwise. You're just another chump in a black jacket and white pants. Yeah. There's a thousand people on the ski hill. They're going to not find you. But, oh, hang on. There's like bright glow pink and green 1989 original onesie guy. We know him. Yeah. We're ashamed, but we know him. Well, let's just follow that guy. So mm. even though you know, you, your ski gear can, can earn you money. And do, do you see that that kind of opportunity as far as collective ownership will, will be a place of growth in our in our future? There's no doubt that collaborative consumption, which is the technical term for oh, yeah. all of those sorts of things, I wrote a post this week and include about renting pets, you know, sharing pets, which I, you and I can't possibly imagine. But I also don't like leaving my dog at home alone, um, not that he's alone a lot. So maybe I should collaborate with somebody to share a pet with an older person in our community who could have him during the day but doesn't want the responsibility all the time of a, a, of a pet. So I completely understand that. So that it is absolutely going to be on the rise, but we're still struggling with the business models of how we connect people. I've got this ski stuff. Who the hell is, you know, size 10, this height, this weight, who could use it and so forth. So we haven't really got those collaboration models yet and that will come. There is no doubt that will come. You know, we're at, I would say, series 1.0 with kind of the gum trees of the world, which is I've got this, uh, it, it's not worth anything, nobody's going to pay for it, but I will give it away on gum tree. Um, and there's a whole notion of, yeah, just take my stuff and use it again because at least it's going for good. I also think that there will be a revolution when it comes to the repurposing of clothes and how we do that because there are so many clothes that um, the charities don't know what to do with them and they become rags and fillers for cushions. They, they literally don't know what to do with them all. And the processing of them is hard and expensive. So I, this will sort itself out because at some point, if we stop consuming so much, what impact would that have on our environment? It's our consumption that is is a mass contributor to the planet's deterioration, shall I just say that? Yeah, massive. I, uh, it's, you know, it's no secret. This, that was a big thing for me uh, with my uh, mental ill health and I had a really tough day the other day and Audrey said to me, you know, honey, I drove your electric car through the shopping mall and I plugged it in for free because they're subsidizing the EV. Then I walked upstairs and I saw about 300 people bringing their own bags yeah. to the store. 
10 years ago, I couldn't have described that to you. You would have thought you were living in some sort of science fiction film. What impact do you think it has on, you know, the general population with tiny little micro actions such as bringing your own bag to the store, not not getting a straw when you get a drink? Yeah, I know. It's embarrassing. You can't have a straw because then you have to say, I'm sorry, turtle, right there. (laughs) And you look like a pariah. That's in less than a year that we've done that. I walk around the house turning off the lights and turning off the PowerPoints. And my husband's just like, really? And my dad used to do that because he was in energy management. But I said, no, power's expensive. And he goes, really? And I go, actually, we just don't want to waste it. It's that precious. So I do, and, and you know, if you you have to apologise to the person in the supermarket if you forget your bags, like you're you're a pariah. So there is shifts, um, and little bit by little bit, but it is enough. I think there is it enough, and is it quick enough? And do we have such a blindness to certain things? You know, like we might do that, but then on the same thing, we don't realise that we've just spent how much energy to import something to this country. Yeah. And I think the a paddock to plate is a whole model that will really begin to take off. Um, and, you know, people growing their own stuff. And this is not a plug for veggie pod. Uh, There's one right there. I know. <laughs> there she There's is. There's one on our balcony, right, like a metre from where I'm sitting. Oh, there she is. And they're so good. But uh, I must say uh, I've exited that business. Very great. The guys, it was a management buyout and the guys are absolutely on a trade directory, which is wonderful, which is our job as angel finance. So that's that's a success. So, but I think there's so much more to be done that we, we still are completely blind on and we just need to turn a light to it. Whenever I walk on the beach, I take a bag with me and I pick stuff up. And I did it and I did it with my mum and my mum said, well, just if everybody did that. And I said, yeah, but the one person I can control is me. And when people take responsibility, and I feel so good about it. I was going to create an artwork because, you know, I paint. I was going to create an artwork out of it and I got so much. I was like, oh, my God, this is just too hard to sort out. No, no, I just need to put it where it belongs, which is out. <laughs> um, I, I, I could talk to you for hours. Uh, you have so much to, to give. I. I, I still think that Naomi Simpson, question and answer, entrepreneur podcast, I still reckon you should do it. Um, here with this very device here, I can take phone calls on this. So, I, re- you know, we could just take phone calls and we could have a cup of licorice tea and you could answer people's business questions. We could nut it out. I think it would be great. Get sponsorship. It will be good. Let's talk to Lolly about that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm make, trying to make a product uh, from my kitchen table that's, you know, up against people who, you know, do their podcast out of New York where every author and TED talker walks through their door five times a day. So, yeah, we're doing all right. Um, But also that's what we love about this. Yeah. Because of the authenticity of it. Isn't that something? And, you know, being in this environment, it's kitchen, favourite place on the planet. And and I think you get a better result because you allow people to be themselves. And uh, I'm also very grateful I get to sit in these Eames chairs because speaking of products that have list, these, these are original 1948 Eames oh, dining wow. chairs. Uh, and I used to live right around the corner from where they made them in on Washington Boulevard in Venice Beach. So these are, you know, 70-year-old, 70-something-year-old chairs and they are just so, so comfy. And, you, just, you know, you don't get that in a, in a radio studio. Um, we earn money. Once we've paid for the food, over, the roof over our head, the food in our fridge and the health and well-being of our family – I guess we want something else. We want to find, well, how do I feel better than I do right now? What's the best way, do you think, Naomi, to turn money that you've made into a lasting contentment? Yeah. There is so much research on the fact that it's not the what we spend our money on, it's who we spend our money with and the experiences that we talk about, both good and bad and challenging, but that's what creates our story and our folklore and who we are. We define ourselves by our experiences and who we hung out with. So money, in terms of happiness, when we get to share an experience, there's a deliverable outcome. The second part to that question, which you didn't really ask, which is how much is enough? You know, I'm growing a big business. Why do I keep growing it? Haven't I got enough, really? So I would argue that the reason why I still am growing a business, one is because I'm not finished. I want to show people really what's possible. Secondly, is I provide employment to a lot of people, which is a good thing for our economy because they're all paying taxes. But the other thing is when I'm in control of the money, I get to spend it on the things that contribute. 
So I can support the philanthropic causes that I support, cerebral palsy and eyes. I can support the things that make a difference when I'm in power of the money. It also means if you haven't got the means, you cannot change the world. So there's many reasons why I'm still going. And it's not about putting food on the table. I'm very grateful that my businesses are successful enough. It's not about that. But I also want to be that leader that people say, wow, she did that. I could do that. And it is possible. But we need to see a way. You're the greatest. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for bringing your dog over. So that so we have to take a photo now of all four oh, of us. He's just found. Thank goodness he did it right at the end. He just found Frankie's favorite ball under a chair somewhere. So oh. there's just about to be a turf war over another toy. Frankie's a very generous friend. <laughs> Not really. He his pace is pacing. That the, he's pace circling. The fetch ball is there. Oh, oh brilliant, yeah. Naomi. Thank you so much. So my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm busy being kissed by dogs. <laughs> That was Naomi Simpson. Incredible. What a woman. What a human being. She's fabulous. You can find out more about Naomi at naomisimpson.com, N-A-O-M-I-S-I-M-S-O-N. She's also Naomi Simpson on Instagram and Twitter. You can't but miss her. She's fantastic. Next week, we are speaking with the incredible human being that is Joe Williams. And I can't wait to bring you that conversation. He's an exceptional, exceptional human being. We better get going. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Rachel Barrett, my show producer, Andy Ma, my exceptional audio producer, Michael Mills, who made all the music, also known as Toe Hider. Find him, follow him. He's fascinatingly good. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. If you need me through the week, uh, you can find me on the Facebook group, osha.is slash fbgroup. You can also find the Facebook group links at oshaginsberg.com. Everything else needs to know there. I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great week. Do the work. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.